Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals, and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. So today we have Josh Allen, who's the CRO of Drift on the show. He is a really easy person to talk to, super friendly. When the two of us sit down and figure out who we want to bring on the show, we try to bring in a variety of different people. You know, people who are operators, people who are on the ops side, you know, will eventually bring in investors and other folks who bring an outside perspective as well. The thing that was interesting about Josh was that he works at Drift and Drift is trying to build a new category. So yeah. they are breaking ground in what they call conversational marketing. Um, so it's like not a thing that people are familiar with. So yeah. we thought it'd be really interesting because that's something that we are also dealing with, right? We're in the yeah. space of revenue intelligence. How do we go in and sell into this a new market? So we thought it would be helpful to have his perspectives at a CRO of a company that is creating a new category. Yeah. What's interesting too is they are not the first in their space Right. But what they did is they kind of came and conquered by creating this new category, helping folks understand how the current way of doing business is broken, how they're uniquely positioned to solve it, which is kind of like the sweet formula, I think, for creating a category mm-hmm. successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was great to hear from. And then also, you know, you kind of dove a little bit more into our people success pillar, right, which is how we can make our, our people successful and and really just help them reach their maximum potential. There's a great, great insights on, you know, grit, how we hires for folks to handle failure and be able to bounce back. He's involved surprisingly early in their hiring process, which Mm -hmm. caught me off guard. Mm -hmm, Um, So for those who love puns, there are tons of puns in this episode. I will forewarn you. It's a punny episode. It's very punny. Uh, And we also met with Josh over Zoom as he's located in Boston. So if you hear a couple hiccups on the audio side, it's not your hearing that you're losing. Uh, There is a couple bumps there. But with no further delay, let's jump into our interview with Josh. Josh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Happy to be here. We love to start the podcast by learning how the leaders we talk to start their day. So I'd love to know if you have a go-to morning routine. I do. It's changed a little bit actually this week. Um, I am. I decided to run my first marathon. So I'm going to run the Boston Marathon in April. So wow. my training just kicked off on Sunday. I'm actually part owner of a local CrossFit gym here. So I'm usually in the gym four or five days a week. So I, I'm generally pretty active. I think there's, uh, I equate my own mental health and ability with physical health and ability. Mm-hmm. So the two are very much linked. Uh, well, Josh, you're the CRO at Drift. How do you describe your role as CRO? I think the word CRO or the acronym CRO means a lot of different things in a lot of different companies. As, as uh, those on the SaaS side know, it's a relatively recent title. It hasn't been around all that long. Right. So it means different things in different businesses. For us here at Drift, it's really a fancy title for um, for head of sales. Like my responsibility is really sales motivated and then partnerships and alliances within the organization. So it's what's driving revenue for us. 
I know you've been head of sales at a lot of successful companies uh, based in Boston, Log Me In, Car Gurus. Now you're at Drift. What was your journey like to get into sales in the first place? Uh, I think like a lot of salespeople, it was by accident, not by design. Um, I think when I graduated college, so I come from a pretty blue collar family. My dad is a lobster fisherman locally here in the Boston area. And so you know, I grew up fishing with him from the time I was 10 years old and banning lobsters. And so I went to, uh, when I came out of college, it was, I was paying most attention to the amount of student loan debt that I had and trying to figure out how I was going to pay it all back. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going into sales. There was somebody I had gone to college with and actually played lacrosse with in college who had broken into sales after he graduated. He was a year ahead of me, told me to come in, that it was, you know, you get to tap into some of that same competitive spirit and, uh, and was working with a fun group of people. So I sort of stumbled into it. And my first job was as a sales admin. So it was actually going to get coffee, whatever it took to keep the machine running and then graduated, you know, got to, got a chance to get on the phone to become a BDR. And then you finally earn the right to carry a quota and sort of go through the ranks that way. But it was, it was very much um, out of need versus by design. Are there any like specific defining moments or things that you were taught when you were young that have set you up for success today? Um, if I took you over to my desk here in the office, I've, I take with me wherever I go, just a picture of my dad's boat. Cause it's, it's a reminder that even your worst day in sales beats the best day on the boat. It was yeah. like, it's just the hard work, uh, to be successful fishing, um, is a constant reminder that reverberates in the back of my head that they're coming to work here every day at drift. Um, very fortunate to do that. You know, any of those industries, whether it's, it's farming, fishing, you're subject to so many things that are outside of your control, like pricing changes and cost of fuel and everything that goes into it. It's really hard for those types of small business owners to, to stay afloat, uh, no pun intended, um, <laughs> with, with, a, with a lot of things that are outside of their control, no matter how hard you work. Yeah. And so I think seeing that and understanding, like I feel very fortunate to have an opportunity to do what I do is a much easier and enjoyable way to make a living. Yeah, I can, I can definitely relate to that. Uh, my dad was in construction, uh, and I got to spend a few summers uh, earning my stripes there. And I have a similar sentiment of the worst day in sales is still better than you know being on the, the deck of 110 degrees, uh, sweating oh. it out. But mm-hmm. you w- wouldn't have traded for anything because now you know that's where that work ethic comes from. Absolutely, it's it, like it sets your foundation. It sets your baseline for perspective. Mm-hmm. So like your definition of hard is very different from somebody who hasn't had a chance to go through that experience. Given that you have like a really interesting background, has how has that shaped how you now hire? And are you able to pull in folks who may come from um, non-traditional backgrounds into your sales org? The way I tend to hire is, well, not tend, the way I do hire is we have within the team, we're looking at a bunch of different things. So, um, you know, somebody will be focused on the who, which is really a deep understanding of what they've done before, the details of the work they've done before in each role, where they went to college, like everything. Mm-hmm. And then we have somebody who focuses on the role play, like actually going through a scenario so we can hear how you would sound as a salesperson or if it's an enterprise sales rep, how you would pitch to a potential customer. I focus on, on um, the intrinsic characteristics, so things that are either extraordinarily difficult to move, mm-hmm. like Curiosity. If, if you're not a naturally curious person who wants to dive in and ask questions and learn more about the business because 
that's how you're built. And that's what um, makes it fun for you. If you're scaling a big org and hiring tens of and hundreds of people um, to take the time to teach somebody how to be curious, to be successful in selling is, is not a great use of the manager's time. Right. So, so to answer your question, the way my background informs is I think a lot of the characteristics that went into a blue collar lifestyle as it relates to work ethic and drive in particular, uh, resiliency, like how much grit you actually have to handle a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or a bad quarter. You learn those things from, from that type of background, but there's like, you could grow up in a white collar family. And if you're, so it's, it's hard to just pinpoint a background and say, because of their background, they're going to be successful. Mm -hmm. So we have to interview for those characteristics and try not to go in with a preconceived bias for how somebody's going to be based on how their resume reads or what town they grew up in or where they went to college, try to suss out as much detail as possible from the individual themselves. And then from back channel references and talking to people who've worked with them in the past. Along the same lines, you wrote a blog earlier this week, or excuse me, earlier this year, when work meets uh, workout, uh, which for those who haven't read it yet, uh, essentially, you know, you, Josh, and, and some of your senior uh, sales leaders got together for about a 30-minute CrossFit-like workout. Maybe it was at your own gym. was. It was at his own <laughs> gym. Perfect. With the goal of getting folks outside of their comfort zone and creating perspective. Uh, I'd love to just know, you know, what made you focus on, one, those specific outcomes, comfort zone and, and creating perspective. And then two, why the CrossFit like workout, which, which I know secondhand is challenging. <laughs> I mean, I, I get questions about it a lot internally. Just why are you part owner of a CrossFit gym? Like how'd you fall into that? And so, and to their credit, they all showed up, they all did it. Everyone did the workout. Nobody backed out. They could have very easily stood on the sidelines and watched, but everybody did it. I have like the one mantra I've held on to since the time I first saw it, which was actually on the wall of a CrossFit gym in Dublin, Ireland that I was a member at when mm -hmm. I lived over there. And it just said, get comfortable with uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it's the thought that like growth happens on the edges of your comfort zone. It's not being inside. It's once you start to eke out of where you're comfortable, that's where you learn. It's where you develop. It's where you grow. And that's both a mental exercise and a physical exercise. Absolutely. So for, for, for me, it was using, it was using the gym and doing a workout that was uncomfortable for everybody. Whether you've been doing CrossFit for 10 years or it was your first time doing it, it's uncomfortable for everybody because you're pushing yourself to the, to the limits of your own ability the ones who are most successful in those types of organizations are the ones who can step outside of their comfort zone so that they're able to tap into that growth. Absolutely. And it's been about six months since, since that exercise, pun intended. Um, what were the short term and now the, some of the long term, I guess, kind of gains to keep running with the gym analogy uh, that you guys <laughs> experienced? <laughs> Uh, I think it was, uh, some of it was just for us to get to know each other a little bit better, like outside of the office. Um, you, know, you work so hard when you're here, but it tends to be very focused and, and pointed at whatever outcome we're trying to solve on behalf of the company. So it's nice to just like break away from that and get outside. And honestly, we need to do it again soon. It's, um, I think we did it back in, in May, so we need to do it again soon. Um, I, I think the you learn a lot about people oh, yeah. when you're going through that that physical process together. So I think everybody left the gym that day with a healthy respect for one another. And then we went to a local Chinese food restaurant on Route 1 in Saugus that is well known in this area where 
after every um, WWE performance, the wrestlers have gone for the last 20 years. I don't know <laughs> Very why, cool. Very cool. It's a well-known place on Route 1. And so we went there and, um, and got to debrief on the workout after and have some fun together. I love the idea of you sitting in the same booth that Macho Man Randy Savage might have <laughs> a few decades ago. That's my all-time favorite. Uh, you know, there's a fun fact for you. That's great. You know, I'm curious, the work that I do at Gong is all related to how we're building and breaking ground in a new category, what we call revenue intelligence. And I think what you're doing at Drift is very similar, called conversational marketing. What, what I'd love to hear about is how you, as a leader of a sales organization, um, go into customers and help educate them about this new way of operating, this new way of doing business from a you know, marketing standpoint. Um, so first of all, like, how do you do that? And then the second part of that question is, what are some of those traits that you're looking for in reps to help go out and tell this story? Yeah, that is a fantastic question because I think category creation in the sales process, you're essentially, you're selling twice. You're, you're really helping somebody to understand uh, why the category matters to them and, um, and understand that of the major projects that they're working through in the coming weeks, months, quarters and years for us, it's like we have to, we sell the idea of conversational marketing and how it transforms um, the digital experience by engaging with more of their potential buyers. Mm -hmm. Um, And then underneath that is, and let's talk about how drift is a potential solution for that. So you have to sell both the space and the product and every single deal that we go into um, with the exception of those folks who come to us and have already either um, looked at uh, what Forrester has had to say or serious decisions has had to say about conversational marketing and about drift. Like we do get people now who come in and understand what the category means and why it matters. But a year ago, that wasn't the case. This was Mm -hmm. still very much an an emerging category and still is today. To answer your question, Shane, it has changed the profile of salesperson who's been joining drift in the last probably three quarters or so. Mm If you rewind the clock, say a year ago, we were largely like, we were just feeding off what was coming inbound. We had a very healthy brand and that brand was driving a lot of traffic to our website. And much of that traffic were were smaller businesses that were looking for help and the ability to convert more of that traffic. As we engage in those decisions further up market though, we realized that when you're engaged with a company, an enterprise company that relies on their website to drive the majority of their leads and conversations um, with customers. And that's what's feeding their SDR teams and their account exec teams. If we can help them get more out of the traffic that they've already paid a lot of money for or have invested tremendous resources in driving, that was a, that was a more powerful conversation up there. In order to graduate from selling features, bells and whistles, we had to attract people who are comfortable selling a solution and get it, and being able to tie into the value to the challenges that a particular company has as it relates to customer experience and engaging with their potential buyers digitally. So that has really changed the type of person that we've brought into the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. I can see like at a, in an existing market, you have somebody who can go in and kind of rinse and repeat in some ways. Um, They're going in where somebody already has budget. There's already a line under that exists for that software that they may be selling. Um, But here you're breaking ground. Like that doesn't exist. So you're, again, as you said, you're convincing them that they need this thing that they didn't know that they needed. And then you have to convince them why you're best. Yeah, better, faster, cheaper. You know, when you're doing like a traditional rip and replace or just trying to, um, that that is a very different sales process. 
All right, everyone, by now, you know the drill. In every episode, we have a data breakout, a quick sidebar to look at the data. Category creation is a hot topic right now, and for good reason. Some of the most well-known and successful companies like Apple, Salesforce, Tesla, and in the B2B space, Qualtrics and Drift are category creators. With hopes of attaining similar success, more and more companies are attempting to carve out their own category. I mean, let's be honest, who wouldn't want to be included in that list? By Harvard Business Review's definition, creating a category is building a solution around a problem people did not know they had or did not know they can solve. The emphasis should be on creating the first high-functioning flywheel, which is the combination of a breakthrough product and a breakthrough business model. The secret ingredient is the ability to predict category demand. So how does it really play out in reality? The benefit of becoming a flywheel is supported by HBR's analysis of Fortune 100 fast-growing companies over the last decade. Of the roughly 600 unique companies across the 10 years that they analyzed, Companies with the flywheel accounted for only 22% of the companies, but drove 52% of the revenue growth and 72% of the market capitalization growth. So it's clear that category creators experience much faster growth and receive much higher valuations from investors than companies bringing only incremental innovations to the market. But as Josh describes, it's easier said than done. So Josh, um, we talked to sales leaders about some of their unanswered questions and some of the most challenging questions that they're trying to figure out for their business. What would be some of those unanswered questions for Drift that you are actively struggling with trying to solve? Yeah, I, look, I think in any in any growth company, no matter how fast you're going, you want to know how you can go faster, which often means trying to find efficiency gains within the process, within the repeatability, within the consistency of the team and the performance. So for me, that's how I, I like, I, I'm looking to continue to optimize the repeatability of, of how we're operating as a sales team. So that means everybody doing something similar as it relates to lead follow-up in terms of what we're saying, what the messaging is, what types of channels we're using, whether it's email, LinkedIn messaging, video, phone call, down to like when we're in an opportunity, how we actually go about staging the opportunity correctly, following the process, whether it be the, you know, the plays that we're running using medic or how we're going about asking questions. So, so for me, I think like the unanswered question is if like how efficient can we get? And if we get to that level of efficiency, how much faster can we go? Um, Cause I, we're doing well as a company, but there's all like, you can always, mm -hmm improve. And to me, that's a never ending quest. Um, so I, I spend most of my time now thinking about how to help the team do that. And where do you see the role of data um, in helping to answer some of those questions? And do you feel like you usually have the data you need to answer the efficiency question or not? Yeah, I'd say we usually data access to the data is not necessarily a problem for us. I think sometimes having too much data and either spinning your wheels or getting paralyzed by it can be a problem mm -hmm. for us. So, but data is, is the core component to actually making those decisions in terms of where you invest in training and where we spend the time with the team and uh, where we're having success with customers and what messages are resonating, whether our pricing and packaging and bundling is built correctly. Um, that is all data driven here at Drift. Uh, we're a very data-driven sales organization. Were you guys always a data-driven org, or is that maybe something you guys have picked up uh, more recently as, you know, I guess the focus on data, at least in B2B sales, has definitely increased? 
it's sort of, so it's always been here. Uh, it's always been here. Our, our founders are very much systems oriented thinkers. My background as, um, as a sales leader has come from very data driven orgs and, you know, places where you have a high volume of, of transactions and data points. So mm-hmm. you need to use that data to make decisions. Um, otherwise you're, you're wildly inefficient. And so I, I don't think it's new here. Um, we have probably tightened our ability to use data. So even like, for example, heading into next year, the way we look at territory assignments and how we're doing lead routing and things of that nature, um, looking at where we were last year versus where we are this year in terms of not only the data we have, but the expertise we now have internally to be able to look at that data and understand what it's, what it's telling them. Mm-hmm. Um, that has, that has changed. That has, uh, we've, we've just continued to hire really, really smart people who can help us drive the best decisions possible and use the data well. All right. So Josh, while you were at, uh, celebrate our annual revenue success summit this year, you said uh, something pretty funny. You said the top three priorities for you were hiring, hiring and hiring. (laughs) Has that changed? No. Has not changed. Has not changed. It's, uh, I don't see it changing, frankly, for the foreseeable future. It's just with the type of growth we're, we're going through, yeah, hiring is the absolute most critical piece. Not only so, and, and the way we do our hiring here, I actually meet with, with everybody up front. So what we refer to as an informal part of the hiring process, where I'll sit down with a potential candidate and just learn a little bit more about them as a person and what they've done in their career and help them understand kind of what we're doing at drift. And, and the reason, the reason I spend so much time up front is really to make sure that there's two reasons. One is that I have a purview over the whole organization. So can understand where somebody's skill set potentially fits into which team. And then also to be able to like, if somebody's not the right fit, that's okay. I just, I don't want to put the other four or five people we have in the process uh, through that whole interview process if it's, if it's not needed. So, um, so I spend probably 40 to 50% of any given week either interviewing somebody directly or having a pre-meeting on a candidate or having a post-meeting on a candidate. It's where much of my time is spent. That begs the question of how much you sleep, but you don't have to answer that. I, enough, enough. <laughs> <laughs> and then based on the article and then the, uh, the CrossFit gym, I'll, I'll take a wild guess and say that grit and the ability to push oneself outside of their comfort zone is an important quality to look for, of course, outside of their, their skill set. For the sales leaders who are also in you know, hyper growth mode or, or at least hiring a ton, what, what are some of the interview tactics that you use to surface these traits? Great question. Um, I think it's just so like for resiliency, for example, it's asking questions around like, what's the most challenging thing you've gone through in your career? And I want to hear answers, you know, you're going to hear answers that range from uh, we ran out of cold brew to (laughs) I was let go the first week I got there because they downsized the team. Um, unbeknownst to me, I was without a job for six months and could like, that's, I want to hear what people have, have gone through, um, as, as a, as an indicator of what they are able to take and, and kind of what we talked about earlier, like what their perspective is. Cause if you have the right perspective, 
you know, things like territory changes or a change in quota or a change in role and how we sell, they'll fall right off somebody's back if they have the right perspective. And it's also setting the right expectations. There are people who succeed in high growth companies and there are people who will struggle because the change management is so rampant in a hyper growth company that if you're not comfortable with the idea that your job may change six times in two years, then these aren't, aren't the right companies. So, you know, it's kind of getting in and understanding what they've experienced, what they've been through, what resonates as hard to them uh, is what I try to dig into. What are some of the mistakes that sales leaders can look out for when it comes to hiring? Yeah, that's, that's a, it's something that I, I mean, look, it's, we all have to continue to improve in the hiring process. And, um, that's something that never stops that never, ever, ever goes away. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it, uh, how many companies you've been with, how many times you've been trained, like you always have to continue to improve there. I think the biggest mistake I see is, uh, mistaking liking somebody for them being a good fit for the job. Sure. Um, yeah. Just because somebody is someone that you'd want to go grab a coffee or a beer with doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come in and be a great salesperson or a great marketer or a great customer success rep. Uh, you've got to be able to truly be objective in your question asking and make sure that the questions that you're asking for the answers that you're getting back, those answers line up with the skills that you need to be successful in the job. And if they don't line up and they're a nice person, that's okay. There's lots of nice people who aren't the right fit for the role. It's the willingness as a hiring manager to be able to truly have the patience to find the people who are going to be great. So as you look into 2020 and beyond, what are some of the trends and sales that you're most excited about? What I have seen, and some of this is from coming to Drift, but I've even seen it in other companies, there seems to be heightened awareness around personalization of outreach. So it's actually focusing on really good, thoughtful persona and individually based messaging. Mm -hmm. So that when, when, whether you're a BDR or a salesperson, if you're trying to get a meeting with somebody because you think you can potentially solve a problem for them, blasting an email out to a thousand people isn't a great way to do that, (laughs) but actually taking the time to understand who they are. And even if you are venturing a guess at what types of problems they might be facing and can bring something of value to the table with this concept of giving and giving and giving before you actually get anything in return. I've seen that start to change in the last couple of years, especially with, with some of the, um, some of the marketing and sales technology companies in particular, like yours, like, like ours here at drift that have decided to take a more personalized and conversational approach to engaging. And that is, that is wildly different from even four or five years ago when it was still very much focused on volume through marketing automation or BDRs making a hundred calls or whatever it is. I think marketers and sellers are just realizing there's a way to do this in a smarter way. And honestly, I think the B2C companies have kind of led the revolution there, whether it's Uber or Spotify or Netflix or Amazon and B2B is now catching up to what has become the expectation of the norm. Right. And, and that's, that's really important. I think that's a, that's a welcome change and allows people to be themselves and get kind of creative with their outreach. And I think it's, you know, you can't be perceived as better as a salesperson unless you're perceived as different. So it's nice to see that change happening. 
going on the vein of creative outreach, you're very visible. You, you post articles, you're on LinkedIn. I have to imagine you get prospected quite a bit. Do you have a top example where someone did take that really personal approach and, and got on your radar and hey, bonus points if they even got a deal? Honestly, uh, no, not directly <laughs> to me. I haven't, I haven't in the last year. So if for anybody listening, I, I'll issue the challenge now. I will <laughs> happily, like if there, I will happily put a wonderful, personalized, highly targeted piece of thoughtful outreach on LinkedIn and, um, and, and try to make you as famous as my network will allow me to. <laughs> but I, that, cause I, I do think like, I, I think it means a lot, um, for somebody to take the time, even if it's not, uh, I, I take that back. There was one who sent me a coffee mug from my alma mater. That was, nice. that was a lovely gesture. Um, but wasn't necessarily the right fit. Sure, <laughs> that's that's sure. probably the best one. So maybe looking at the other side of the sales org for sales managers, for sales directors and above, what recommendation would you have for them in terms of what skills they should focus on in 2020? We, I think in growth businesses, uh, especially ones like we, we, we run a monthly cadence here at Drift and um, it was the same at my last two companies. I think it's easy to get caught kind of looking down at your feet and, and really focusing on what's directly in front of you for the day, for the week, for the month. I, I implore all sales leaders, whether frontline manager, director, VP, CRO, it's like make sure you're taking the time to look out the windshield and understand what your runway looks like and that you're building for the future. It's not just about this month. It's not just about today. It's about the skills that you're developing within the team so that each opportunity they have a chance, each at bat they have a chance at, um, they're a little bit better every time they get into it. It's about having a process so that as you're driving toward the month close, quarter close, year close, you're not left waking up on January 1st with a hangover and an empty pipeline is mm -hmm. that you actually have uh, a nice runway ahead of you because you've taken the time to, to both coach your team to think about the future, but are also managing that way yourselves. I think that's what, for the leaders that are good at that, even if you're a frontline sales manager who's only been doing it for a little while, that is a very good indicator of somebody who can take on more responsibility as a strategic thinker and a sales org further down the road. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I implore everyone to, yes, worry about what's, what's directly in front of you at your feet, but also make sure you look out the windshield. Josh, what is your sales superpower? What is my sales superpower? Oof. I think my sales superpower, uh, I, so I am not a naturally extroverted person. I've been described as an ambivert, and I think you know, most salespeople get kind of pigeonholed as extroverts. Mm -hmm. as the successful ones. And I think with, with the emergence of inside sales and SaaS, um, that has become less of the norm. And you start to find people who are maybe more in the middle or even some who are slightly introverted, but are right. just so curious about what is going on out there that they can't help themselves. I think my superpowers, I genuinely want to know more about who I'm talking to and what their business looks like and what their biggest challenges are and what their background is and how they grew up and where they came from. Cause I think that's fun. And I think it's interesting. It's not because it's my job. It's because that's just how I'm wired as a person. So I, I, I think my superpower is that I don't have to try to empathize. It's just, it's built into my DNA. How would you describe sales in one word? Persistence. 
Interesting. No, it's not persistence. It's matchmaking. Mm, interesting. How so? You're essentially like you're not selling a product. You're solving a problem. And so like what we're trying to do, it doesn't matter what you're selling. If you're selling oil and gas or antivirus or drift or gong, you're essentially trying to figure out if the person you're talking to has a problem that whatever you're selling can help solve. Mm -hmm. And so it's about taking a problem and matching it to a solution. That's as simple as sales is. Yeah. I, I jumped to the, the easy sales and, uh, and dating analogies that, that are always there for matchmaking, but we, we didn't go down that route. It was, it was better. <laughs> <laughs> we could have, we could have, I, I, it's, I don't, my, my daughter last week came home with this homework. She's in third grade and it's, it's one of those where on the left column, it lists the questions and on the right column, it lists the answers and you have to draw the line to match it. And that's kind of what spawned it. You got that homework assignment. You're like, step aside. I got this. This is all me. <laughs> awesome. Well, Josh, thanks so much for making time, especially, you know, this late in Q4. We really appreciate it. You always leave me inspired uh, having talked to you or, or hearing you speak. So just want to give you a big shout out and a big thank you. Thanks, Josh. Thank you both. Appreciate the time. At the end of every episode, we bring you a micro action. It can be as simple as something to think about or an action you can put into play today. Josh covered his team building exercise, pun intended, so it's worth asking, is your team due for some team building? If you have to think about it, then the answer is yes. Here are some things to consider when planning your team building event. The easy and common route is a team happy hour, and that's all good and just fine. But you wanna be more than just fine, right? True bonding as a team occurs over shared experiences, and that can be challenges and accomplishments. That's why Josh's team exercise was so successful. The workout forced them outside of their comfort zone, which was his goal. And that leads us to the next tip. When planning the what should we do, don't shy away from fun activities. Allow your team to enjoy something that will naturally lower their guard. They'll show their true selves, and that's exactly what you want. Plus, they'll look forward to the next event, and you'll get even more participation. Here are some fun events Sheena and I have done in our careers. Group laser tag. Yes, it's still awesome and you're never too old. I've actually done this one twice. An escape room. Few things bring people together like struggling over puzzles. I'm terrible at it, but it's always a good time. Citywide scavenger hunts, running around the streets of Palo Alto looking for hidden signs and establishments. That's Sheena's favorite. And everyone loves a good park day. Grab some games, cornhole, and even kickball are a fan favorite. Plus, you can add some beer or wine or White Claw for the millennials for an extra good time. Teamwork makes the dream work, and hosting quarterly team-building events will have your team operating like the Avengers in no time. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.